What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the IDK Show. My name is John Drummond. Hi, everyone, and I'm Cindy. What's up, Cindy? Cindy, what is the IDK Show? So the IDK show is where we interview real people in Web3 and what they're building. It stems from Buzada, which is a community of founders, builders, investors, trying to advance Taiwan's presence in the Web3 world. So who is our guest today, John? Our guest today is Darren Chen. Darren is business operations and finance lead at Burnt Finance. He was previously the strategic planning and business operations at Foursquare. And he's joining us today to talk about how to get a job in Web3, things to be interested in for boosting your career, and how to contribute to DAOs. Everyone, please welcome Darren. Hey. How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> I'm John. I'm joined by the wonderful Cindy. And thanks so much for making some time in your morning out in New York. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, no doubt. So you're doing some cool stuff over at Burnt Finance. You guys are focusing on multi-chain NFTs, um, all sorts of stuff. And so I was hoping you could kind of take us through an an intermediate dive of Burnt Finance and what you're up to over there. Yeah, definitely. So like you mentioned, uh, Burnt Finance is a multi-chain NFT protocol. Uh, I run all the operations, finance, and legal aspects of the company. Basically means that I'm in charge of making sure that we have money, uh, we are alive, and that we're able to grow as uh, quickly and as safely as possible. Um, it's a pretty great role because I get to touch on kind of all aspects of the business. Um and uh, I have to think about kind of where, where we could go wrong and how we can mitigate that. So um, pretty awesome. Nice, man. That was a great pitch. Um, if I was a VC, I'd give you money. It's really cool because, you know, where we are at in the current cycle of NFTs is a really exciting place. And so having a protocol that I love that is focusing on interoperability, maybe, you know, different chains, we mean with that, right? And so projecting a little bit into the future, you know, what do you guys want to be like, how do we achieve, how do we achieve interoperability right now? Well, by using, uh, by using a uh, burn finance, that's how that's how we do it. Um, but um, looking into the future, I don't really know what the exact solution is, we obviously have uh, our approach to it, you know, the traditional approaches we've seen, which is uh, are through things like uh, bridges like wormhole or Ronin bridge, uh, are kind of susceptible to being breached. Um, and if we're hoping that Web3 technologies uh, are going to be adopted into the mainstream, we can't be relying on these things that work 90% of the time, but the 10% of the time, you know, people lose millions of dollars. It has to be something that's natively integrated, um, that is architected from the ground up to allow, uh, whether it's different blockchains to speak to each other or, or it's the same blockchain and it, it, everything rolls up to it. Um, all of these different solutions, you know, look good uh, on paper, but um, until they're actually tried and tested, um, we shall see. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right, right? It, you said it so well. I mean, 90%, it works, 10%, people lose millions. And that's, you know, any time anyone ever cares is when everyone's losing millions. And so... You know, you think about the trilemma we have in blockchain, it's, it's, you know, it's decentralization versus centralization versus, you know, the components of scalability. When, you know, like when a smart contract is being called, you know, where, where are the bottlenecks right now that, that NFT users are dealing with? I think that's a, that's an interesting question because it, it, it assumes that NFT users are kind of one 
one group. Uh, but I think we take the stance that uh, who the people who are NFT users now are not the same people who are going to be the majority of NFT users in the future. Um, in order to achieve kind of what everyone's underlying goal is uh, to, you know, bring Web3 to the next million, billion people. Um, there has to be this, this idea of abstracting away the crypto and the idea that perhaps, you know, we don't even call it an NFT because the NFTs, you know, NFTs have been so associated with um, board apes, cyberpunks, these JPEGs that cost millions of dollars. Whereas um, an NFT is just a way to, demonstrate digital scarcity and ownership so when i'm thinking of the main bottlenecks for bringing on nft users i'm thinking not of just the you know the hundred thousand of us or two hundred thousand of us who you know are nft gens you know are aping into the next uh board of yacht club drop or, or or trying to figure out which land is the rarest i'm thinking of the person who in five to ten years is you know transacting with with um with a piece of media and without them knowing it, they are supporting the creator directly because uh, creator royalties are natively built into the contract that they're interacting with. Um, so that's, that's why I think about uh, the biggest bottleneck is just making sure that the user and the user experience is as seamless as possible in that if someone cares about, you know, what kind of stack their NFT is built on, they can dive into it. If someone doesn't care, all they care about is just consuming uh, it's as easier uh, for them as possible to consume. I think that's uh, super interesting. I totally like believe in what you're saying. I think that's how we get mainstream adoption first through. I think we touched on this in our past episode, but on like casual gaming, where you you're just playing a game, and maybe you don't even know that it's built on blockchain or um, using NFTs. And now we're seeing a lot of companies, like even Snapchat, is using NFTs to build like um, AR uh, filters on on their app. And so the next generation of users will be interacting with NFTs without even knowing it because it again it is just a tool it's just a technology for us to your previous question where you said you know per, potentially the bottleneck is um also the security issues like wormhole correct me if i'm wrong but i i think most of those breaches have been because of you know smart contract vulnerabilities is that something you think we need to solve first before we you know like open this up to the masses um with you know more uh, seamless user experiences I'm not as familiar with the wormhole hack, but the I forget if it's the biggest or the l- next largest hack um, of the Ronin bridge. Uh, obviously, the Axie uh, sidechain to Ethereum uh, for Axie Infinity. Uh, that was actually not hacked because of any smart contract risk. That was hacked because uh, a senior Ronin uh, a senior Ronin engineer received a fake PDF that he thought was a a job offer. He opened it that uh, that deployed um, that p- deployed bug on his computer that effectively allowed them to gain uh, access to a majority of. Uh, I don't think they refer to them as validators, but like kind of key holders that sa- that that say yes, uh, this transfer is legitimate. Transfer it out, or no, this transfer is not legitimate. So they got, uh, I think, five out of seven or seven out of nine, which allowed them to make that uh, that hack. There was one. Um, you can't even call it an exploit because it was just like a, a recursive loop of where they just they just they just made one uh, typo in the code and that caused user funds to be locked in. Uh, it was like twenty six million dollars. I forget which protocol it was, but um, I think that is also an issue where we cannot be in a world where people are dedicating millions and millions of dollars to unaudited code. So, so just to take a step back, I'm not saying that smart contract risk isn't. Uh, a risk that people should be aware of. They, they absolutely should be, but we should be very clear about what is a smart contract risk versus what is, versus what is a social engineering attack, uh, of which that happens not only in Web3, but in our current financial and economic systems. Um, so 
to the question of smart contract risk, I think that we're, we're at a stage where you have to do your own research. You know, if you, if you see this kind of startup that has, that is offering you something and you're interested, you have to do the due diligence to see, Hey, will I be able to make my, will I be able to take money out? Will I not be able to? And we're just not in a stage where people are a ready to do that or be willing to do that. So until we're, until we're at that stage or until there's kind of a generally accepted, uh, auditing principle of like, hey, unless this uh, startup or this smart contract adheres to these principles or this automated thing that anyone could submit to, you should expect to lose your money. Until we're at that stage, I think people will lose their money to smart contract risks. So uh, yeah, it, it just reminds me of like, you know, email is, is, is pretty, it's, it's been around. It's like, the, but um, we're still learning to, you know, just not click links in email. So <laughs> How do we, how do we, you know, speed up that education in Web3 where everything's happening, you know, at 100x speed? I heard a podcast of Mark Andreessen, you know, from A16Z. He was talking to Chris Dixon, you know, some great minds in the space. And they were talking about how email, like they messed up that protocol, basically. Like email protocol was messed up. It was like incorrect. It wasn't audited. If we're talking about this analogy we're speaking on, it wasn't audited correctly. And it just became accepted, though. And so that's why we get so many like DDoS attacks through email. It just became accepted. And it was too, too, we made it too far, we couldn't go back. And so I'm really hoping that, you know, unfortunately, it's, you know, I'm, I've, I've lost money, um, <laughs> you know, in Web3. And so hopefully, us learning these things now is, it's, inspiring the next generation to build better and smarter and you know this next wave will be audited and and like you know focusing on safe practices and and as you said having like a standard of getting audited and then going to market instead of like rushing products out to market you know you've focused a lot in your career with like kind of business development and operations um you know, do you think we could kind of backtrack a little bit to your Web2 life? And, you know, you worked at a company, you know, 300, 400 employees. And now in Web3, it's a much smaller, you know, workforce, but it's passionate, it's hungry, and it's it's ready for growth. Is there any types of business development advice that you see that you can bring from Web2 or any industry really, and um, apply it to kind of what's going on in Web3 right now? So in my, my previous life, uh, three, 400 person company, kind of, I was just a cog in the wheel, I had the job that I needed to do. And, you know, as long as I did that, that'd be great. Um, but what really allowed me to kind of succeed in that role and was this concept of bias to action that I think if you, uh, whether or not you're in Web 2 or Web 3, if you apply that, you will you will do great. It's the idea that um, you are not above any job and that if you see something that needs to be fixed, you just go and do it. That would be one piece of advice. I'm happy to talk more about that uh, if, if you'd like. Um, the second piece of advice is just uh, be a be a be a constant learner. If you miss one day of of news or of content, you are behind the curve. Being able to stay on top of everything and be able to talk about them, not just regurgitating what others have thought about it, but like using your own experiences in the space, um, really makes you stand out and makes people remember remember you and what you have to say, um, which is pretty valuable. In terms of like hierarchical structure, right there, you're saying if if you see a problem and you can offer solutions or you can even directly fix it, you should do that. Yeah, and what what does that look like in terms of Web three? You know, like if someone does, has no tech or low tech skills, you know, they can't necessarily interact with contracts or, or rewrite protocols. But, you know, what does that look like for for maybe the business side? A very funny story and a fun time that I look back on, which is when I first joined Burn, 
um, I joined as kind of a business development associate. So that was that was kind of my lane. That was what I was I was hired to do. So and um, joined probably in January 2022. So I've been there for six months, but it feels like six years. Um, and I look back on that fondly because it was a time in the life where I think every I think most startups go through where they you know they raise money. They're like, hey, we have money. Like like let's do all of this cool stuff. Like let's travel. So I traveled. Like I went to Barcelona for Avalanche Conference. There was no real reason I needed to go to Barcelona. I went to LA for NFTLA. You know, we could say that uh, that was a good that was a good idea. But um, a lot of learnings there too. But do we need the entire team there? No, I don't know. So I was like. Hey, you, we're spending all this money. Like, who is managing our money? And the CEO, like, I don't know. Like, we have money. Like, there's there's the money. Like, it's right over there. And like, I saw the money, but I was like, this is not how how it should be. So I was like, hey, listen, like, like I would love to kind of set some structure and set some guidelines here. I care more about the company being alive and um, us doing what we set out to do and doing what we told investors we were going to do. So no one was like, hey, I'm 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 the finance guy. Like, back off. Like, they're just like, okay, like, go and step in and do it. So. You know, within a kind of few weeks, I, you know, got a full picture of where all of our money was at, um, got a full picture of what we were doing with it, set down guidelines, set down a budget. So now uh, I'm probably the least liked person on the company in the company because I just have to tell people, uh, do not do this, do not do that. Uh, we cannot spend money on this. Uh, I've implemented spending limits on their credit cards. So I get shit all the time. I, hey, I need more money on my card. And I'm like, no, you don't. Or if you do, like written, written, uh, written notice in advance. Um, so it's given us a lot more structure and rigor into uh, what we can and can't do at the company. And I love that too, because, you know, going back to kind of what you were actually talking about is you're back into that startup mindset. You know, you're, you're taking initiatives, you're now kind of helping out the legal team, you're helping out probably hiring and interviewing, you're helping with the operations. That's the coolest thing because so many people I see coming into Web3 they're hungry for that. And, you know, they want to be useful and they want to be helpful and they want to grow. They want to learn. They're forever curious. And, you know, that to me just seems like we're building momentum in the right way for, for what could be next. Yeah. Great talent is coming, is coming into the space at all time, uh, all the time. You know, we, there was just the news that like three JP Morgan execs left to join crypto firms. I think one of them was like Algorand or something. And, uh, just the caliber of people and the people who are willing to contribute expertise to bringing the industry and the ecosystem forward is, is commendable because not only doesn't mean the industry is going to move forward at a much faster pace it also means that kind of the people earlier in their careers will have more will have uh better uh examples and experience to learn from which then just compounds and and, and adds to uh adds to the space what do you see kind of DAOs being able to empower through these collective goals i mean obviously we're all in web3 now and this becomes our kind of collective goal but thinking about other DAOs. What's the infrastructure for them looking like if they want to do like, let's go buy a golf course or anything like that. And so what are you thinking about in terms of structure for DAOs and, and what this can mean for global communities for, for everyone? Uh, hot take, maybe not kind of hot take, but DAOs as a entity for getting things done are not the most efficient. Uh, we it, just the idea like everyone has to vote on every tiny thing that happens it's just not not the way to go it just needs we you need key decision makers and you need to you need to move on the other hand i think what DAOs are really great for are for being inclusive and for being permissionless which is one of the core tenets of of cryptocurrencies is you don't need anyone's permission to send a proposal to submit a proposal you don't need anyone's permission to vote on a proposal you don't need anyone's permission to contribute to a DAO. plenty of DAOs have bounty boards uh we're still working on ours if you see a bounty you can do it just do it whereas in kind of other forms of 
entities or structures or, or social clubs. You know, it's very hush hush. It's very hidden. You're either an insider or an outsider. And I think we, I think Jackie especially has uh, been a great proponent of like, hey, we are a DAO. We should be decentralized. Um, we we should we should be open. I think the OG vision of a DAO was uh, literally a corporation that was just run and operated by smart contracts, which would have been really great. Like you just like the the corporation, whoever I don't know how it would be done, but they would just put out the bounty and then if you did it it's if x then then y you would just get a get a payment and there would be no no need for for any other bylaw bylaws or board of directors it would just happen through code which is a, i think a very ide- idealistic dream uh and it'd be crazy you know 10 15 years from now we see we see that that in action so um those are my thoughts around DAOs. Uh, that's uh, I know the first the first half was kind of cynical. That's not to say that I don't think that DAOs have value. I think they are they do have value, but you just have to kind of be thinking more about how to get work done in a, in a DAO. What would be the greatest takeaway from a DAO that you would want to continue seeing in all future kind of like ways of working? It goes back to what I was talking about, kind of uh, how to be successful in a in a web two or web three job, but it's biased to action. Like I just noticed that you know if I joined the call, if I just gave my candid thoughts on what what. Uh, what uh people what i thought about about you know where the DAO should go what the DAO should do that like people would listen and then i mean if the thoughts are 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 okay then they like be like hey what are your thoughts on this and then slowly slowly like you just you just get handed more and more responsibility to do things like i i was in the capital pot at first and thankfully i've been replaced by someone much more uh much more competent and capable than i am a shout out to shout out to jesse uh but it's not like like it's not like hey like you're the finance guy, like you should be the capital pot. It's like you have to raise your hand and say, Hey, like this is what I want to do and I think being proactive is is gonna be gonna be the best part of, of contributing to a DAO. We welcome the the hot takes, you know, that all all views are, are welcome. And so yeah, never <laughs> never silence those. Sometimes having those perspectives is what can help grow in the future too, you know. We got to we gotta speak some truth. <laughs> we talked earlier about initiative, and I really liked how you briefly mentioned how you are open to people reaching out to you on LinkedIn. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to ha- uh, have people that are in Web3 that are willing to share the resources and the knowledge that they've acquired for several months and to share that in a couple minutes call or in a one-hour podcast. If you want to talk a little bit more about that and how you're helping people that want to get into Web3. I, uh, I know I don't look it, but I'm a fairly early grad. Um, so I'm familiar with kind of the struggles of being in school, you know, being close to graduation, not knowing what you want to do, wishing that like you could talk to someone and, you know, for, for, for lucky few people, like they, they have people they could talk to. I, I know I was very lucky that like I had a fairly solid, um, network of people older than me that I knew from school or from friends or from, from family that I, I would, I would talk to them, but uh, I empathize with the, with uh, the people who don't. So even when I was at my other Web2 job, my job there was like something that like people would say, I mean, like, oh, that's pretty cool. I want to learn more about that. So even then, if someone reached out to me on LinkedIn with a message that wasn't just completely copy and pasted, I, I'd have to say there has to be some effort into it. You know, if it's not a call, I'll answer your questions through a message. Um, I'm always happy to speak about my experiences. Web2, Web3, business operations, uh, legal finance, because, uh, you know, it's, it's part of Web3, you know, wag me, we're all, all going to make it. And the um, most efficient way I can give back is just to help them get their thoughts organized around where they want to go. I don't claim to be an expert in, you know, you know, as, as a theory I'm going to win in the future or whatever, but like I can speak on my experiences and how I've thought about things. And uh, hopefully that's helped other people. Um, so, so yeah, if you, uh, if you're interested in 
uh, wanted to, to talk more, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm sure uh, Lincoln, Lincoln bio or, or, or wherever, or wherever we do these things. Yeah, I love it. And you know, it's, it's truly the Wagme vibes and <clears throat> it kind of segues nicely into, you know, why Bujidao and as we're all core team here, what, uh, what drew you into Bujidao and what, what are you doing now with Bujidao? So this is actually a good part of why, uh, of me going to Barcelona is that I ran into Jesse, one of the kind of the founding, the, the founding four of Bujidao, um, where they were just coming up with like funny names for, for, for DAOs at East Denver. And then they just landed on Bujidao. And she's like, we're just, I was like, oh yeah, I'm from Taiwan. She's like, oh, you're from Taiwan. You should join uh, Bujidao. It's a, you know, it's a Taiwan focused DAO. And I was like, oh, cool. So for our first couple of weeks, um, I, I actually, that, that, that time period is a blur to me because like, it seemed like it was just a group chat of like 30 people. And then now like we're this whole thing, we're planning out type a blockchain week. We've got like different cities, like pot, like it's crazy how much we've grown. Cause when you're in web you just join all these random telegram chats, you end up muting 90% of them. And like the 10% that you're still in is cool, whatever. We just started doing things. And it wasn't like there was like a, like a specific call for action. Like, Hey, if you have experience in X, Y, Z, we want this. It's just like, Hey, we need help. If you're interested in helping, like join this call. I think it was Jackie who was uh, organizing those, and obviously Jackie is he's a de facto figurehead of of uh, of Zidal. Um, and what he does really great is that he's very willing to kind of decentralize ownership and empower uh, people to step into their role. So just slowly, slowly, I just started getting looped into more calls, started getting looped into more of the more of the fundraising process, more of the the membership process, and all of these kind of things. I've told the story a bunch of times, so so uh, forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But um, I think the reason why I was so attached to Bootsabow is because my parents actually met in New York probably 30, 40 years ago, and at that time they had their you know internet wasn't really a thing you know they didn't have instagram but they had to remain connected to each other um in whatever way they could and the way they did that was by forming a taiwan taiwanese lunch club it was just people who were like them grew up in taiwan or asia came to the u.s ended up in new york they would just meet up for lunch um once a week once a month and then now 20 30 years later they're back in taiwan and they you know sometimes they still have lunch club they still have they still play golf but it's this idea that Dao can be a group for that 20 30 years from now we're all going to be you know some of us will be in taiwan and we'll look back on it and be like hey we were in Dao. We, we did the podcast you know we we did xyz and i think i think that's why Dao is is a so so cool to me. Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing story. It, it's kind of funny how we kind of like circle around and just go back to you know the basics of how to socialize and connect with each other, even when we either have like no means of doing so or we have too many. And we're starting to see that a lot in Web three as well, where a lot of the meetups are now getting back into being centered around maybe food or you know lunch meetups, getting together once a week, once a month, whatever. And and now actually that's that's our generation's version of that. Thinking about remote work becoming so much more accepted. I'm from the US, but I don't want to actually converge back to the US. <laughs> I'd rather actually kind of stay in Asia. And so it's interesting to see how those things shift too. And it makes me think too about what we are trying to all of a sudden collectively build, which is of course Bujidao, but more importantly at the end of December is Taipei Blockchain Week. First of all, are you coming back? I am. I have to. I have to. I was going to come back anyways and I had my flight booked a while ago and i'm landing on the first day of type blockchain week. awesome darren well thank you for uh, for joining us on your new york morning uh, cindy's new york afternoon and my taiwan evening uh where can they reach out to you on linkedin i think that's super beautiful what you're doing with that and yeah 
please take advantage of that. Anyone in the space who's curious. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Darren Chien, uh, D-A-R-R-E-N-C-H-I-E-N. Or you can email me. It's M-E at Darren Chien.com, D-A-R-R-E-N-C-H-I-E-N.com. Those two are going to be the best, uh, best way to reach out to me. That's for sure everything. But uh, very excited. Very happy to t- chat with you today. No, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, shout out to John and Cindy, the podcast heads for Puzadao <laughs> doing, doing God's work for us. You know, We love you. We can't wait to see you back in Taiwan. And thanks for joining us, Darren. Thank you for listening to the IDK Show. If you want to learn more about Puzadao, come to our website, puzadao.tw. We're also hosting Taipei Blockchain Week at the end of the year in December. If you're in Taiwan, come hang out with us. If you're not in Taiwan, this will be the perfect time to go back. And if you've never been to Taiwan, allow us to show you around our beautiful island. We'll see you on the other side from Buzidao to Zidao. <laughs> All hundred of us. You've got friends here. <laughs> 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 <laughs>